0: Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the fields of psychology and mental health, with your host, Gabe Howard, and featuring Vincent M. Wales.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Psych Central Show. My name is Gabe Howard and of course Vincent M. Wales is here as well. Vince, say hi like you always do. Hi like I always do. We are excited this week. We have a very special guest with us. Paul Gilmartin is with us. He is the host of Mental Illness Happy Hour. And uh, I mean, he's an all-around cool guy. I didn't realize it at the time. I was a fan of Mental Illness Happy Hour, but I was also a fan of his previous work, which was Dinner and a Movie on TBS. And I I totally didn't realize that you were the same person. So
2: welcome. I didn't either. I didn't either. (laughs) So it was very confusing.
1: (laughs) It's interesting how often I watch 80s movies and I realize that there was a cameo by some star that is famous now. Uh, the other day Isn't I it realized it—it it is, it is. I realized that Macaulay Culkin was an Uncle Buck. I, I just always thought that was a John Candy movie.
2: Yeah, the kid with the with the big pancake, just asking him all the questions, and yeah, kind of deadpanned. He was doing it
1: all. So, Paul, we wanted to have you on our show for a couple of different reasons. One, you're the host of the Mental Illness Happy Hour, which is a great show that has some. Pretty public people, some very public people, in fact, discussing mental health issues and addiction issues very, very openly. And that's something that we don't see a lot of. So that was very interesting to us. And also when when we were doing the research to do our show, the, the Psych Central show, the, the one that you're on now, a lot of people said, Hey, that sounds a lot like the mental illness happy hour. And we thought, really? Let's let's check this show out. And that's sort of when we became aware of it. So you led the way for us to have our show. And and some of the stuff that we're trying to do here, you're already doing. So so first off, thank you for paving the way for us.
2: Oh, I appreciate that.
1: And second, the big question that I I think the audience is going to want to know is, how do you get famous people on your show? And what's that like?
2: Uh, You ask them. Um, or you ask a friend of theirs or, uh, you ask their representative, but a lot of times it's no, it's a lot of no's. You just, you just keep doing it. Um, I've been lucky enough to have somebody help me reach out to people because I just couldn't take it after a while, all the no's. And so I reached out to my friend Megan She's so good. She's such a go getter. And uh, so she n- now I'll just shoot her an email and say, hey, would you try getting this person on? But a lot of the guests are people I've known from the comedy world. So that's been another way um, to to get them because I used to do stand up uh, as well. So I know a lot of a lot of people in in that that community. But one of my goals was to have, you know, there's such a myth of celebrity and money in our society that if you have those things, you know, you'll find peace. And I know that that is a, is a myth. And so I thought it would be great to have somebody who's in the public eye one week, and then somebody who is not in the public eye the next week and see how similar the feelings are that they struggle with. So that's been one of the goals on probably a third of the guests, on my show are listeners, and that wasn't planned in the beginning. That was something that just kind of evolved as I began to see and hear uh, from listeners as they would email me their stories. I would be like, "Oh my God, this is a great episode yeah that's that's been another way that the show has evolved,
3: just out of curiosity Paul uh you say that that listeners email you how How frequently does that happen uh every day, every, every day.
2: day, yeah.
1: That's a, that's a lot of email. I know that when we emailed you, we, we got a nice autoresponder back that said that you get so much email that it, it sort of became overwhelming and that you were unable to answer it, which we're sort of aware of because we know that there's a lot of need in the mental health and addiction community, and there's, there's not enough people to, to provide it.
2: Yeah, and it's a, it's a really good test uh, of my codependence issues because I have to remind myself I can't save anybody. You know, I can just try to be of service. a good job be a good person but i have to make sure that my battery stays charged you know the the times that it gets overwhelming is when my computer will screw up and send a bunch of emails to junk mail and then i'll discover all of them in there and i'll all of a sudden i'll have 128 emails to personally reply to and I try to reply to everyone oftentimes it's just a matter of how much time can i dedicate to this email so sometimes it's lengthier than others other times it's just like you know i'm glad you like the show uh or thank you for your constructive criticism or whatever (laughs) um i appreciate your support other times it's more detailed especially if it's an issue that i personally have battled that isn't discussed a lot um then i will oftentimes have a more detailed response and oftentimes questions for them Uh, and a lot of times if it's somebody on the cusp of going to their first therapy session I will uh, ask them to check back in with me because I want to be able to report those experiences to other people who are in their shoes to say hey look this person had those same fears and here's what happened
1: that leads me to my next question. Where did the idea for the mental illness happy hour come from?
2: I went off my meds, thought I was, uh, fine. Uh, five months later, I wanted to kill myself and didn't realize it was the depression, uh, for probably a month. And I suddenly realized, oh my God, this is the depression coming back. Cause I thought, you know, if it's going to come back, it'll come back. And within three months. But no, so apparently sometimes it takes longer. And, it is uh, weird,
3: isn't it? Yeah. I, and, I, and I thought them. Go ahead. Depression can sneak up on me and actually be messing with my life for a month before I even realize what's going on.
2: Yeah, because it will present itself as your life sucking.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Friends will notice it, and and they'll they'll notice the change in your behavior. And then for some reason, they, they just don't say anything, I guess, maybe because they want to be polite or they don't want to, you know, bring up the whole mental illness thing or what have you. But then that kind of just blindsides you when you do realize it. It
2: really does. It really does. And I thought to myself when, when I realized that's what it was, I went back on my meds and it's within three or four days I was feeling better. And I realized I believe that depression is a real thing. I've been in therapy I'm in support groups. I see a psychiatrist, and I was fooled by it. Imagine the people out there that don't believe in taking meds, that don't believe depression is a real thing, that think that, that think it's, it's a moral weakness or a matter of attitude. My God, somebody yeah. has to talk about this in a way that is compelling because I saw – a need for it to be done in a way that wasn't like a lecture or wasn't really precious and new agey and people talking about mother earth and, you know, releasing your buttocks into the, your chakra and (laughs) other stuff. (laughs) I thought, you know, I'll, I'll take the kind of conversations we have in my support groups and that I have with my comedian friends, but we'll just change the subject matter. And so that was the, the idea for it. I, I realize that people have information at their disposal, tons of other places, but what they mm-hmm. don't get is comfort. They need that hand reaching out and holding their hand and laughing with them and crying with them.
1: Agreed. And, and medical issues, whether it's mental illness, physical illness, et cetera, they're, they're, they're boring, I mean, I don't want to sit around and talk about yeah. somebody's broken leg because I don't need to hear how bones break and how they heal together and what the body does when this happens. That that would bore me. But the reason that I understand so much about broken legs is because when somebody breaks one, they have this cool story to go with it. You know, they fell off their motorcycle. They were climbing a tree. I mean, it's almost like a like a battle scar that a lot of adults, you know, when they broke limbs as children are now proud of. So we were able to learn all of this about broken limbs because it was just told in such a way that was fascinating. And it's one of the things that we try to do here on the psych central show, but it's one of the things that that you're able to do very, very well over on your podcast, because in order to understand the joke, you have to know what's going on and you explain it in such a way that makes us want to understand the story. And that's what really engaged me personally, because I thought, wow, this is such dry material that you've livened up in such a way that's funny. And And
2: emotional. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, because nothing gets through to people like a story. Nothing.
3: Which is why I'm a writer. (laughs) Yeah.
2: It's the the best. I I never get tired of hearing stories. It's why I love documentaries so much. I will watch documentaries on subjects I don't even care about.
1: Well, there's a good example to to pull this in. Super Size Me is a documentary that people have learned about. Now, nutrition and obesity are something that has not been well understood in our society, even though we're all worried about obesity. But the gentleman that made Super Size Me, he did it in such a way that it was entertaining. A lot of people were watching that movie because they thought it was funny. And then when they left, they're like, well, now, wait a minute. Maybe we shouldn't eat McDonald's three times a day or it's going to be unhealthy. So I don't know what the mental illness, super size me equivalent is, but there's a million dollar idea out there for somebody. We're just giving it away.
2: <laughs> yeah. What I loved about that movie was you had more compassion for, um, people who struggle with obesity. Um, and, and he didn't even get into the emotional reason of, uh, people that struggle with weight. He covered it from the perspective of, of people being poor and it being convenient and then being pressed for time. One of the things
1: you said is that, that you, you went off your meds and, and you went off your meds for depression, correct? Mm-hmm.
2: That's your yeah, depression and anxiety. Yeah.
1: Depression, anxiety. And you said at the top of the show that you wanted to show that, that celebrity uh, didn't insulate you from, you know, things like, like mental illness. And mm-hmm. I mean, you're a good example of that. You were on television for 16 years, which is an incredible run by any, any standard. And You couldn't avoid it.
2: No. In fact, the times I was most financially successful and had the most visibility, I was the most suicidal because all I cared about was myself and, you know, I didn't have a spiritual life and I don't mean a religious life. I mean, I didn't care about really anybody else. I didn't care about trying to make the world a better place. I just wanted to be out of my pain, but I had no tools to do it. And, and I was battling clinical depression, which is really just kind of diabetes, but of the brain. It's a it's a chemical imbalance that no amount of uh, praying or meditating or exercising is going to get rid of, in my case.
3: We do get a lot of that, though. You know, a lot of people saying that there are alternatives to, to medication and, and to therapy and all of that. And I just... I'm like, well, you know what, if that if that works for you, that's that's great, but I'm I'm not going to recommend it to anybody personally. Yeah,
2: people that shame other people for taking meds yeah. don't realize how dangerous how dangerous that that is just because something works for you. Yeah, don't. You know, I agree that meds should be the last house on the block. Try everything else, you know, unless you're in crisis but I'm a believer in trying everything else. And I have tried everything else and I do need that and meds. So I do all of that.
1: And that's what we find with a lot of people. I, I In some cases, I, I think the the people that are advocating for people not to take medication, I, I think that their heart is somewhat in the right place. You know, our, our society does look for quick fixes and as sure as we're all sitting here, there is somebody that is taking psychiatric medications that, that may not need them. The problem is it's very dangerous because people suffering from mental illness, they often feel isolated and alone as it is. And then you've got somebody pressuring them to stop the treatment that's working. They're not able to fight that off. And, you know, it, it's very, very problematic. And, and like you said, you were you were financially solvent. You, you had money, success. You even had fame, which is something that, that most people do, don't have. And it you still felt isolated and alone and vulnerable. And that's why we have to be yeah. careful for, you know, people that are sitting with less resources, both financial and, you know, friends, family, support, yeah. et cetera. They're just very vulnerable.
2: And the other thing that is a hallmark of depression is decisions are difficult to make. So if you throw in somebody questioning your ability to take meds, you, you throw in the stigma of meds and this myth that it, it means you're weak. That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, putting somebody up against. So
1: let's go back to to your show for a moment. Who is your favorite interview? Yeah. Who did you interview that that you feel that you learned the most from or that, that taught your audience the most and why?
3: Wow. Dude, There's he's got so 300 many. and some episodes. How's he going to think?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, this week's episode really, really touched me. It's Charlie King, and he's a guy I've known for a long time. And he had one of the most abandoning childhoods I've ever heard of. And he descended into crack and violence and um, falling in love with unavailable, abusive women. It's a heartbreaking story, but but ultimately Charlie turns his life around and begins to see clearly what is really going on inside of him. It's a really inspiring really inspiring issue. I think some of the episodes that resonated most deeply with me were the ones that where it touched on issues that I still struggle with. I didn't realize that what I experienced as a child was a form of incest by my mom. And I didn't really have that epiphany until about a year and a half into doing the podcast. So the listeners kind of got to hear me spread through many episodes struggle with that and struggle with cutting uh, my mom out of my life. And the people that helped me the first episode with Dr. Jessica Zucker, uh, we had her on around three times, but the first episode that was the one that kind of cracked it open for me. Um, as far as people's stories that were um, really almost like movies There's a woman named Naderi Fenoyan, and she was um, being – she was on the run from the uh, Ayatollah. She's Iranian, and uh, she was a Marxist when the Ayatollah came to power, and they were hunted down by the Ayatollah's people. And I'll just – Let's put it this way. It was a two hour episode, and we didn't even touch on the fact that she is a nurse in a psych ward. Oh, wow. Here in the state now. Yeah. Um, the episode with Christine Keys, K E E S E, she was a child in the Warsaw Ghetto during World War II. God, there's so many. Teresa Strasser is a great episode. That, in a nutshell, is kind of what the show is at its best. It's a good blend of humor, uh, raw vulnerability, and insight. And she's, she's she was a great guest. She's one of my favorite episodes. Um, there is a page on our website that has the listener favorites, top 10 listener favorites from every year. So that might be a good place to start.
1: Well, that's fantastic. So we're unfortunately, near the end, we have time for
3: one more question. Vin, do you want to ask it or should I? Oh, wow. Just one, huh? Well, why don't you go? And if if your question stinks, then I'll go. (laughs) That's
1: true. And we'll edit, we'll edit mine out. What's it like being so vulnerable? I mean, you're used to being in the public eye because of your, you know, hosting the television show, being a stand-up comedian. So obviously you're not a person that has a problem sort of leading a public life, but this is different this is this is leading a public life about very personal things can you speak on that for a moment there's not even really a question just what's what's it like
2: it's fantastic but i avoided it my whole life i avoided it until i got sober at 40 and even then i didn't really dive into the deepest issues the issues with my mom the issues with being sexually violated by my mom but it was in a way that was really covert so i didn't recognize it as such until i saw the pattern as a whole but the support group that i went to for that which helped me have those epiphanies that was a support group that stressed the importance of vulnerability letting go of the shame and that's where i got to let go of my deepest darkest shames the feeling that i was dirty The feeling that it was my fault, or I was making it up, or I was a baby, or I should be able to handle it. That was the template for starting the podcast, because I realized how powerful vulnerability was. But I had never been vulnerable in my comedy. My comedy was a wall up until then. So this is relatively new to me, but it has changed my life. It has allowed deeper connections, and those deeper connections is what I was really looking for in money and recognition, but could never get. Excellent.
1: Thank you so much. You've really created a space for people to not only be vulnerable to the public, but for the public to see people who are vulnerable, and that allows them to move forward in their own lives. So you've really done a great job of figuring out education versus entertainment in a great way. And it's, it's fun to listen to as well. Even I learn stuff and and I'm living with mental illness every day. So I can imagine that for the the true lay person, somebody doesn't know somebody or live with it themselves, they're, they're getting quite the education accidentally. And that's, that's fantastic. So, so we appreciate all the work you do.
2: Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for coming on the show. All right, everybody, if you liked us, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. Like us. We have to beg for it at every episode. Paul is is beating us in the ratings, so really, I, I think we could catch up if, if you'd just give us a hand. So, Paul, thank you for being on the show. Vin, as always, thanks for tolerating me. And everybody, we will see you next week.
0: PsychCentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. PsychCentral is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is a professional speaker, award-winning writer, and mental health advocate. You can find more information on Gabe and his work at GabeHoward.com. Vincent M. Wales is an award-winning speculative fiction novelist and suicide prevention crisis counselor. You can find more information on Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email psychcentral.com.